Good old murder. I'm your host, Theo Black, here with my co-host, Kimberly Black. And today, we got we got a wild one here with a, a doctor that, he's not really a doctor, he just do it on the side, so, you know, things happen. What? This podcast discusses murders from the 19th century and early 20th century, usually before 1920, you try to think take things from a lighter angle though not to make fun of victims or those that have been murdered but it's a lot of times the story that leads to the murder that has those little pockets of funny and that's what we try to focus on and not the murder itself because there's nothing funny about murder now if you want to be a part of the show, you want to hang out with us, you want to be a part of the good old gang, you could always reach us on our socials. If you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Good Old Murder and on Facebook at Good Old Podcast. Yep. And with all that out of the way, who's ready for a story? Let's do it. Let's get into it. We're going to go back. Back, 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 back. Way back to the year 1849, Zachary Taylor was the president of the United States. John W. Denna was the governor of the great state of Maine. And on February 14th, Valentine's Day of 1849, James K. Polk, right before the inauguration of Zachary Taylor was the first president ever photographed. That was in 1849. Okay. Now let's get into our story. It was a beautiful April day in Seiko, Maine. A young boy named Osgood Stevens was cleaning debris from a Woodbury Brook. And um, he was trying to pull a whitewashed plank from the brush it was stuck in the brush he was trying to pull it out and he was having a lot of trouble trying to get this white whitewashed plank out he finally pulled it out and quickly realized why he was having trouble a dead woman was tied to it named Mary Bean at first it was hard to identify her and an apron covered her face and rats had eaten away at her she wasn't dressed in any unique fashion But her hair was distinctive. It was long and dark. And the residents of Seiko figured who she was. During that time in the 19th century, the textile industry was starting an industrial revolution. That's when they were starting to get factories and everything up north. Mm -hmm. The textile factories started popping up all over the northeast. Starting in 1830, many factories recruited young women to live like on the property and work in the factories. They had like a dorm style living arrangement to be specific. 
young women in their late teens and early 20s. Usually these unmarried young ladies looking for their own little independence. These ladies were the most of the labor force. They didn't really hire men too often, maybe like a mechanic or something. But most of the labor force was these young women that just wanted to get off the farm. They was tired of uh, shoveling dirt and wanted to do something different. So they usually went to work in these factories. These men, these mills had company-owned boarding houses and where the ladies would stay usually watched over by an older woman. So, you know, they had like a, what what was it in college, an RA? They basically had an yeah. RA yeah. that, you know, was over them. She usually was a widow, so her husband was died. Her husband was so died, she just opened so. up her home to so. these women. I mean, usually the company's built like a big boarding oh, so house. Oh, so she just, okay, yeah. And she okay. was just over it. They had strict rules and curfews, and they assured that their daughters would be safe to these farmers that would let their daughters go and live at these factories. Mm-hmm. Many girls jumped at the opportunity. Like I said, they wanted to get off the farm. Makes so, sense. yeah, they jumped at the opportunity. Like, yeah, I want to go work in a factory. Mm-hmm. I got somewhere to live, too. There was a woman by the name of Boringura Coswell. Baringara. Would it be? Yep. Okay. Baringara. She was born February 17th, 1828 in Quebec, Canada. Okay. She and her two sisters, Ruth and Theus, left their home in Canada to go work in the textile mills in New England. The first, the first they went to uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, and then to Manchester, New Hampshire. In Lowell, Ruth, she found her a husband, and they got married, and she stayed there in Massachusetts. Only Theus and Barangara went to New Hampshire. In Manchester, Barangara worked as a card room girl. She worked 12 hours a day, making about $3.25 a week. What's a card room girl? Uh, you know, like looms, they have different cars to tell what the loom should do. Oh, a car loom girl. If they called them card room girls, but a that's card what, room. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said car, like C-A-R card, not no, card. Card. Okay. I was confused. Go ahead. She made about three twenty five a week and that's about $55 in today's times. Mm. I guess it wasn't. I guess that it isn't bad that they have, you know, free board and, they yeah. work, you know, they didn't really have to travel nowhere. They didn't need a car or nothing. So, yeah, that was just food money. Right. Even though these women worked long hours, they enjoyed their independence. You know, like they, they could go out, do what they wanted to do after they got off work, hang out with the ladies, people, talk, yeah. go shop. So, you know, they enjoyed that independence while working in Manchester, Amos Keg Mill. Baringara met a man named William Long. He was 21 years old at the time. William also worked in the factory. He was a machinist. Their relationship grew and became intimate. Mm. Theus worked in the factory as a weaver. This was a skilled position and it had better pay. In the course of two years, she earned $400. That would be around $6,800 in today's money. And she was highly regarded in the factory for doing a good job. She was a good worker. William's work ethic was not as good as Theus's, though. (laughs) He was fired from the factory in September of 1849. 
After getting fired, remember, William moved back to Bedford, Maine. And Bedford's about 80 miles outside of Manchester, New Hampshire. And he went back to live with his parents. This stayed and continued working in New Hampshire. Barangara decided to move and head to Salem, Massachusetts. Yes, that's Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> By November of that year, Baringa realized that uh, she had a little situation. Uh-oh. She was pregnant. Uh-oh. She left Salem and headed for Bedford to tell William. On November 26, 1849, Baringa took a room at a boarding house in Bedford. She told William privately about her condition. She didn't make it like she didn't. She didn't just go up there raising hell, make a big deal. telling everybody no. She just kind of pulled him I'm to the side. With your baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She just pulled him to the side. Like, hey, look, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. You just know? so you know. So she didn't make a big fuss about it. They discussed a few options. If they were to get married, the stigma of having a unwed child would go away. Yeah, you know, for the times. Yeah. And if they didn't get married, they will be she will be shunned from the community for having a illegitimate child. I mean, William really wouldn't be looked at any kind of way. That's but so crazy she to me how back shunned. then they never yeah. cared what the men did. It was only the women, as if they did it by themselves. Back in the day, that's today too. Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's <true>. today too. <laughs> I'm, well, no, even but now, at least now, people are like, "You got a baby out there, you ain't taking care of your baby." You know what I'm saying? Right? Yeah. I mean, There's some people are going to say something, but, but for the most part, I know. mean, they do still look at it like you had a baby and you not married. Some people do anyway. Yeah, I mean, some people like maybe in the family, but like you yeah, know, like people out in the community, like no, everybody's just going to be like, "Oh, okay, you got a baby." Right. You know what I'm saying? But back yeah. then, it was like you got a baby. <gasps> You're not married? Oh, right. my God. Right. Exactly. <laughs> How could you? Nobody would talk to them. They would look the other way when they're walking a, down the street. That's that hussy right there. <laughs> <laughs> William sought some advice from his manager in Bedford, Mr. Blake. His manager suggested the third option, the one they didn't think of. Abortion. An abortion. Oh, God. During that time, abortion was even more taboo than it is now. You yeah. know, people really didn't get abortions. No, so. you don't kill your baby. Mr. Blake introduced them to Dr. James Smith and also fronted them $10 for the abortion. $10? Yeah, I guess that's about what? $100 right now? $100 in the day? It's time? even more. Way more than $100. Wait, yes. If you can find somebody to do it. Exactly. I mean, she was making $55 a week or so. You know, she got $10. in today's time. <laughs> no, oh, I mean oh, in today's. Oh, oh yeah, today's now, back time. then, you know, she, she was, was making three twenty-five. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I take the ten dollars. Doctor Smith was a botanical physician, so basically, he was a root doctor. You know, a what? A root doctor, like plants, botanical. You said. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like you know, they got they got their own little herbs. Oh, uh, that's what they called it back then. That that's what they call it, you know, in the deep south of root doctor. Holistic doctor, huh? Botanical doctor. No, nah, I mean now they call them holistic doctors. They call I them think. holistic doctors. Yeah, uh, they like practice with herbs and and meditation and. I didn't and, even know that was a real term. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, just call them root doctors, or you know, I don't think they call them root doctors anymore because it's kind of like a weird. Like maybe if they were like. 
never really practiced anything and they would mm-hmm. just call themselves a root doctor maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he wasn't like a medical doctor at all? No, not at all. He just mm-hmm. kind of made up his own. He probably the one who made up that thing. <laughs> Call me the root doctor. He probably didn't have any medical training. Just what we were leading to. Right. Dr. Smith was originally from Vermont and he moved to Maine when factories started getting workers in Maine so he could treat the workers. Right. It said that Dr. Smith wasn't even his real name. Oh, no. And just one he was going by to hide his shady past. Oh, no. He was even investigated in Seiko when some of his friends got involved in a murder in 1845. What? His practice was in his home on Stoner Street in Seiko. Seiko is a town right outside of Bedford. It's like the next town over. So, like, you know, we're out here in Douglasville. And so it'd probably be like uh, South Fork. Yeah. Like right next to it. The next major town over. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the next town. It's not even the next major town. It's the next town over. Okay. But it's a bigger city than Bedford. Dr. Smith gave Barangara an alias to use while she was there because, you know, She's getting an abortion. She need to be a little yeah. low-key. Anybody ask your name, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> he he gave her a brilliant name. Oh, God. What is she it? She started going by Mary Bean. Mary Bean? Yes. Okay. That's the name they gave her. Okay. And that's how we will refer to her from now on in the story. Mary Bean. Because Barangara is a mouthful. Barangara. <laughs> Mary Bean moved in with Dr. Smith while the abortion was being performed. Wait, wait a minute. How long it take? I mean, you know, like, it's not like today's times where they just got a specific Oh, thing. they got to, like, give her some herbs and try yeah, to kill the baby? Yeah. Oh, my God. So, no. they got to, you know, they got to go through a process. Oh, gosh. It wasn't a magic pill? Nope. No magic oh, pill man. back then. Okay, go ahead. He first tried using some herbal supplements to try to induce an abortion. He used juniper brush. Juniper brush. This method had been used for centuries, but it failed to work in this situation. So the juniper didn't help out. In December of 1849, Dr. Smith had to resort to some drastic measures. Mary was uh, 15 to 18 weeks pregnant at the time. He attempted to perform a dangerous surgery on Mary Bean. He inserted an eight-inch hook wired instrument into her vagina, into her womb. Oh, no. He planned to puncture the sac and abort the pregnancy. He was successful in doing this. But while poking around in her... He ruptured her uterus and some organs surrounding it. Oh, no. It even came out of her body and left a quarter-inch wound that was four inches long. So, it was quarter-inch wide and four inches long in her abdomen. Oh, my God. Yes. He killed her. I'm positive that germs were not a concern at the time, so nothing was clean. He probably picked up some instrument that this was laying around and used it oh no the big wound in her stomach became infected there was no anesthesia antibiotics antiseptics or anything like that this procedure was very painful for mary bean and she started suffering from chills fever and a spreading infection 
Dr. Smith could only make her comfortable, but he had very little to offer her for the pain. She was just in pain, laying there with a big old gaping wound in her so stomach. So he just didn't cut her open and ain't even think about the pain? Come on right. now. A week after the abortion, Dr. Smith knew Mary Bean was life coming was coming to an end. So she was only getting worse. And she looked awful. So he left the house with Mary Bean in it and slept in a nearby parlor. What? He just left her there? Yes. He knew she was going to die. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't even stay at home with her. She died in Dr. Smith's house on December 22nd, 1849. That's rude. They could have just let her have her baby. Right. It was a habit that every Sunday, William would go by Dr. Smith to see how it was going. To see, you know, how the abortion going, how everything going. Dr. Smith told William that Mary Bean had died from typhoid. Liar. Dr. Smith approached William asking for more money and the trunk that Mary Bean left in her boarding house before the procedure. William refused. He was like, no, I ain't giving you no more money. She died. Why would I give you any more money? This made Dr. Smith angry, and he told William Mary did not die from typhoid, but instead died from childbirth and birthed a under underdeveloped son. So he's saying so that she had the, the baby. She had the baby, Never and mind. it was she undeveloped. Wasn't sick. The baby came out, and she died too. Get out of here! Now Dr. Smith needed to get rid of a body. He got a whole dead woman in his house. So, he tied Mary Bean's body to a wooden board from a barn in his backyard. And then he dropped it in Woodbury Brook uh, in the Selco River. And he hoped that the body would just float on into the Atlantic Ocean and be gone. Oh, my God. Bye-bye. Dummy. But it got stuck. This brings us to where we started. Three days after... After the uh, they found the body, an autopsy was performed, and Mary Bean's body was buried. Then it was dug back up so that it could continue their investigation. So yeah, they buried her. I was about her. to say they're gonna find out that she was still pregnant. Yeah, they buried her. Then they put her back up. You know, they uh took her reproductive organs and preserved them, and then they buried her again. That's too much. Then, when investigators questioned Dr. Smith, Dr. Smith denied that he killed Mary Bean and insisted that she died from typhoid. So, investigators then dug up Mary Bean's body again to see if she had signs for typhoid. They will not let this lady rest in peace. Oh my goodness. Dr. Smith still remained the main suspect. As he should be. On April 15th, authorities went to search Dr. Smith's home and found where he had tried to cover up that Mary Bean was there. He he tried to burn all the belongings and the trunk that she had in the boarding house. He did too much. He, He tried to make it seem that the trunk was his by inscribing his name on it. (laughs) <laughs> what oh that's not her that's mine yeah that's mine i've been here that i've been here that long time that was here way before she got yeah, here yeah, that, that was passed down to me from my granddaddy <laughs> <laughs> they also discovered burnt instruments that were used in the abortion one person with the authorities noticed that 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 you know there's a barn in the back and it was missing a plank and it matched the plank that oh mary bean's God. body was found on stupid 
He was arrested on April 17th. In April of 1850, a coroner's inquest was held. The public was very interested in the trial and the inquest was held at the biggest building in Seiko with 600 onlookers. Wow. 600 people came to see this coroner's inquest. It wasn't even a trial yet. This was oh the inquest. There were doctors that testified to Mary Bean's condition in detail. So much detail that papers wouldn't even publish it. Yeah. Because it got it's graphic. Rough. Yeah, yeah it got rough. very graphic. Neighbors even testified to Dr. Smith's abortion practices. The most damning testimony came from a 12-year-old Ann Convey. She worked for Dr. Smith at his house. She testified that he used abortion tools on Mary Bean and other girls. Oh, my goodness. She was also an eyewitness to Mary Bean's death. Wait, how? She worked in his house. Oh. She was there. Oh. In the end, Dr. Smith was charged with murder. So you mean tell me he did all this lying and there was somebody there to witness the whole thing? Exactly. Idiot. Exactly. And you probably thought, oh, she only 12. She ain't going to say nothing. Idiot. <laughs> what the heck? To handle the defense for Dr. Smith, he hired Nathan Clifford. He was a former U.S. Attorney General and would later be appointed to the Supreme Court. So he had some good lawyers in his corner. Well, a good lawyer in his corner. I mean, he was a fake doctor, so. Right. I'm, I'm sure he was getting that bread. Trial began in January of 1851. Trial was basically a replay of the coroner's inquest. Mm -hmm. Mary had many of the same witnesses and many of the same testimony. Attorney Clifford tried to place the blame on William as he was the one to put Mary Bean in her situation. You know, he got her pregnant. He was the one who got her pregnant anyway. So, you Are know, you it, wouldn't, it wouldn't have been all this if he didn't get her pregnant. Wow. The state brought up the fact that Dr. Smith had different women's clothing in his home. Because he'd been killing people. The board that she was found on matched the one that was at his house. And with all the evidence against him, the jury deliberated for two hours. <laughs> Dr. Smith was found guilty of second degree murder. As he should. He was sentenced to life in prison. Not death by hanging, which... I would think. I, yeah, I would was happened. about to say for that time period, everybody got hung. Wait, he got life because he was a doctor, I guess. I guess he wasn't a real doctor. Attorney Clifford appealed the verdict. What? Gets interesting. As many lawyers do, he attacked the terminology that was used in Maine law. Oh, God. The charge was murder because the death occurring during a. Uh, Commission of a felony is considered murder. A felony was described as a crime punishable by state prison. Maine's abortion law had two possible punishments. Oh, gosh. State prison or a fine in county jail. What? He also argued that the abortion law punished those with the intent to destroy an unborn child. But the accused was charged with causing Mary Bean to miscarry. In medical terms, a miscarriage could bring forth a living child. So, oh gosh! In April of 1852, the main Supreme Court agreed. 
Oh, no. They overturned the verdict, and since Dr. Smith had already served enough time for manslaughter, he was set free. What? Yep. Dr. Smith died three years later of tuberculosis, which he probably got in prison. Theus wanted to take her sister's body back and have it buried in Quebec, but that proved to be... Kind of hard for the times because yeah. that's a long way. In Quebec, yeah. Yeah. So she's buried in Manchester, New Hampshire, where she last worked, where Theus was working. And her name was added to the family plot in Quebec. Oh, my goodness. And that's the story of uh, Mary Bean trusting the root doctor, oh my which she did, shouldn't have ever trusted. The root doctor. Yeah, that was crazy. Right. That like, was too much. Right. I mean, he just gonna stick a wire up in somebody and hope for the best. Like, oh yeah, I can give you an abortion. Don't worry about it. I looked it up on YouTube. Right, right, exactly. I got a coat hanger in my house. I said I Googled it yesterday. I'm sterilizing we good. I'm gonna take care we of good. it. We good, we good. I Googled it yesterday. I oh got my this. Goodness. That 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 was that crazy. Poor girl. Right. Right. She was That's just terrible. going out trying to live her life. She get her a job. Yeah. Just doing her own thing. That's terrible. That's what he get. That's why he got TB. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. That that was bananas. Yeah, that was. And if you like that story, you know how you could tell us? You could go wherever you're listening to podcasts and leave a review and subscribe. And if you can leave five stars, leave five stars. And if you like to hang out with us, check out a few pictures from the story and just interact with us between episodes, you could always reach us on our socials. If you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Good Old Murder and on Facebook at Good Old Podcast. I'd like to thank you for giving us this time and lending us your ear and hope to see you right here again for another great episode of this podcast i'm theo black and i'm kimberly black and this is good old murder